Hi, this is Dustin Hobbs of the California NBA here with Connect, our monthly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the industry. Today, I'm in San Francisco at the offices of Gantry here with Robert Slatt, one of the principals here at uh, Gantry. Really excited to hear uh, Robert's thoughts on the industry. He's a longtime uh, member of the California NBA, a big supporter of ours, and I'm really excited to hear what he has to, uh, to share with us today. But before we jump into that, I want to uh, uh, talk to you a little bit about uh, the main purpose that the California NBA exists, and that's advocacy. Uh, it's February right now, and uh, we've made a push this month for advocacy. Next month is uh, our annual legislative day, and it's a great time to talk about advocacy. There's two reasons why you should be concerned and why you should know that uh, the California NBA provides a critical role for the industry supporting and defending you in the California state legislature. Two reasons. First one, volume. We just passed our, uh, the deadline for bill introduction in the legislature, and we now have well over 2,000 bills that uh, the legislature is considering this year. And while not all of them, of course, will focus on the mortgage industry, many, many of them will. And so it's important that you support the California NBA and our lobbyists who are there uh, every day in the Capitol um, talking and negotiating and uh, um, pleading on behalf of our industry with those authors of the legislation. So uh, volume is number one. Second reason is the influence that California's legislature has on the rest of the country. If you think that, well, you know, it's just California, you know, California does what it does and the rest of the country can ignore it. Not true. Many of the bills in, uh, that you'll see in other states have their origin in California. California is one of the few states that has a full-time legislature and other states will you know, often take ideas and concepts that are either passed or maybe even didn't pass in California and then uh, uh, consider those in their legislature. So if you see a bad idea, if there's a, a concept that's gonna have really bad uh, uh, unintended consequences, the way to stop that is to stop it in California first. And so uh, it's really important that uh, uh, the California MBA is there representing the residential and commercial real estate finance industry in the halls of uh, the legislature in Sacramento. And one way that you can do that is, one way that you can join that, I should say, is uh, beyond just membership, is by attending our annual legislative day, which is coming up here in uh, March, on March 23rd. Uh, it's, uh, Robert's been to one of these before, so I think he can certainly attest to the importance of, uh, of that day. On legislative day, we actually go before the legislatures, before the legislators, I should say, um, and, and press upon them the importance of our positions and really just what you know, a mortgage banker does on a day-to-day basis. Many of these legislators don't know that. It's important to put a face to our industry. And when you go and meet with these legislators on, on our legislative day, you'll be meeting specifically with the uh, members of the banking and finance committees in both the assembly and the Senate. And so these are legislators who are up on our issues. They certainly have a working knowledge of what goes on uh, with those bills that are going to directly impact uh, our industry. So it's really crucial that uh, the industry makes a big presence and has a big voice on legislative day. So if you're interested in that, Make sure and click in the uh, link below or uh, go to the California NBA's website, cmba.com, for more information. Hopefully, we'll see you there in Sacramento here in a couple of weeks. All right. With all that out of the way, Robert, good to see you. Um, I always, uh, um, I like to tell people he was one of the few people that uh, um, I met early on when I first started was Robert Slatt. Robert was on our board at the time, 
And uh, I was really excited to get to know Robert and uh, one of the, at the time, one of the few people on the board who was, uh, you know, close to my age and, you know, similar generations. So I've always uh, uh, been, uh, I've been looking forward to doing this interview with Robert here for a while here now. Um, so let's, uh, let's get started here, Robert. So tell us, what is your, for those who don't know, what's your backstory? How did you get involved in the industry? How did you find your way to Gantry? Sure. Well, first of all, Dustin, thank you for having me. Uh, it's unbelievable. I think we've known each other now close to 20 years. I'd say, yeah. Uh, since, uh, since, since I started in the business and so did you. Um, well, you know, not a great backstory. Um, I was fortunate enough to say be born into this industry. My father, Barry Slatt, started a mortgage company uh, back in the 1970s. Uh, I kind of, you know, grew up idolizing him and just uh, loved the business. Um, I went to UC Davis for undergrad and was immediately drawn into real estate. I got my uh, salesperson's license when I was a junior at UC Davis. Mm -hmm. And immediately after college, I, I went, uh, I had a great opportunity to just work directly with my father at his company uh, in Burlingame. Jumped at it and um, 20 years later, you know, here's, here, here, I'm now at Gantry now today. Um, you know, I made my way over to Gantry in 2007, uh, became an owner in the firm in 2010, 2011, and just, uh, it's amazing how time flies. Absolutely. Well, and for those who don't know, uh, um, you know, Barry Slatt was a, uh, a longtime member of the California MBA, was actually chair of the California MBA at one point, longtime member of the board of directors, was instrumental in uh, some of the programs that are still, you know, active today, our Western States Craft Conference. Uh, Barry was, a, a, you know, I think a founding member of that and, you know, involved in the, in the genesis of that. So, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but, you know, what impact did he have on you as far as impressing the need to be involved in, in uh, industry support organizations like the California MBA? Well, one of the things about my father, uh, which I try to copy, is he had a very gregarious personality. And, and uh, he was a lot of, he just attracted a lot of people to him because of the, the big persona that he was. Um, and he used that to his advantage to um, argue what he thought was important, not only for his own ideals, but for uh, the commercial mortgage banking industry in general. And, um, you know, he used the CMBA platform uh, as a way to really unite a lot of the independent mortgage bankers throughout the state to lobby the government uh, on, on items that would, uh, help improve all of our own livelihood. Um, and so I think it was his leadership role that I was most attracted to and why, uh, I wanted to also, uh, forge my own path separate from my father, but still using, uh, his guidance, um, to, uh, have my own leadership in this industry. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, for those who aren't necessarily maybe familiar with uh, the history of the California mm -hmm. MBA, its history is uh, the leadership of the association was uh, started out mostly on the commercial side. Even through the 1970s and, and uh, beyond, it was most of the, you know, the center of power within the association was on the commercial side and with folks like uh, with your dad. So that, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear, you know, his impact on you and, and you're carrying that on now, uh, supporting the association and, and you know, working in the industry. 
And it's funny, we, you know, we hear so many times, you know, so many people have the story about how they got into the industry and it's not, you know, I always wanted to be, it's, you know, I kind of found my way or fell my, fell into the industry on, you know, sort of on accident and mm -hmm. then, you know, fell in love with it. But, you know, you fell in love with it right from the beginning and, you know, carried it through. And it's, you know, interesting. It's good to see both sides of that. Um, so tell us, you know, you mentioned Gantry here. Tell us there's big changes I know at uh, Gantry. Tell us, you know, sort of what's going on here and uh, what's the outlook for Gantry. Yeah, um, we have grown significantly uh, while still keeping our basic key principles, which is we're 100% employee owned. Uh, we have no outside investors and we are continuing to grow in markets that we think benefit our company as a whole. So besides our rebranding to Gantry Inc, um, our, uh, originally, we were Newmark Realty Capital. We also have acquired two companies within the past six months. Um, Rose Hill Group, based out of Buffalo, New York, uh, uh, which was owned uh, by Dan Monte, um, who a uh, great longtime mortgage banker uh, who's continuing to stay with us with our company. And more, more recently, uh, Norris Bags and Simpson, which has historically been you know, a large West Coast operation. In fact, uh, some of the founding principles of Newmark Realty Capital started at Norris Bakes and Simpson uh, back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, before Newmark was even formed. Uh, so we continue to grow. We now will have a footprint in almost every major market on the West Coast. Uh, we also have a footprint now in uh, upstate New York. Uh, and, uh, you know, the future looks bright. Um, and we still keep our core principles, which is we're 100% employee owned uh, with no outside investors. That's great. That's great to hear that. Yeah. I mean, you can, because it is tough when the company grows, especially at the, you know, the rate that uh, you guys seem to be growing the last couple of years, they maintain that. Yeah. It's, those are key tenants that are very important to all of the principles of this firm. Yeah, and what I was going to say, I think that uh, you guys have probably more uh, stable in terms of uh, tenure uh, leadership than most of the companies that I know. I mean, you guys have had the same, you know, sort of core leadership here for as long as I've been at the association. Well, and it's not even just core leadership. It's it's we have some of our servicing portfolio managers have been here just as long. Mm -hmm. um, and we're very fortunate to continue to have them um, stay with us um, throughout our growth and our transition. Um, so it, it's not just um, producers or founders or principals. It's uh, a lot of our key employees um, have stayed with us, and we appreciate that. What do you think? What do you think's uh, behind that? What do you think drives that? Especially the the uh, not necessarily the leadership, like you said. There's other just core employees that stay have stuck around this long. I think it's our culture. Um, you know. I come from a background of never working in a bureaucratic organization um, where, you know, someone is punching a clock and telling me what to do. And I kind of take that same philosophy with the people that I work with. Um, so I think we've built a culture which is very entrepreneurial, regardless of whatever your position is within this company. Um, it's a very relaxed atmosphere. It's a very familial atmosphere and it's friendly. And when you think about, you know, you're going to spend a significant amount of your time at work. 
you know, you, you want it to be in a place where you're happy because if you're not happy, we're probably not happy. Then it's just a bad fit all the way around. And if that's the case, let us help you get to a position that will make you happy. So I think that's why we have such loyal employees um, and why we've been successful. That's fantastic, all right? All right, so let's uh, maybe look a little wider at the at the industry. What's your your own sort of outlook uh, for the industry? Maybe this year, the rest of this year, we're already a few months in, and then uh, maybe even into twenty twenty one. Is there a certain uh, market or product that uh, you're keeping an eye on? So business wise, um, I'm very bullish on um, just our, our core mortgage banking, mortgage brokerage um, industry. And I, I, I think that is partly due to the markets that we are located in, you know, whether it's San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, um, Phoenix, um, upstate New York. I mean, the, the main tenant is low unemployment um, and good economies. And that's not going to change, in my opinion, over the next you know, 12 to 18 months. Um, interest rates are obviously low, but um, I think they're, they're, not, they're too low for the success of our industry. Long term, I think they need to be higher um, for just the overall health of the economy. But real estate-wise, um, our markets that continue to have low unemployment are going to continue to do very, very well. Makes sense, right? So then what would you say, speaking of rates, then <clears throat> what challenges would you say are potentially out there? I mean, it sounds like obviously you're, you're bullish on the, on the market, but are there challenges we should be concerned about? I mean, is it more, if you had to pick a challenge, would it be more rate uh, focused or would it be something uh, political? I mean, obviously things may look different if we have a President Sanders next year or President Trump. I mean, that could sure. really change things. Or is it even maybe something different? I mean, today... Uh, we had the uh, well, actually, this whole week. There's you know the coronavirus in uh, China has been you know uh, to say the least having an effect on the stock market. So I mean, what's you, what do you say is a, a challenge looming out there? Yeah, I, I mean, there's always going to be uh, outside events that we just cannot control that are going to have an effect on our everyday lives. Um, you know, regardless of whatever your political preference is, I mean, the election will do something. Um, whether it's Bernie, whether it's Trump, whether it's another candidate uh, who comes to the forefront, um, something will trigger uh, an event that will, you know, that, that could derail the economy. I, I don't have that crystal ball. Um, you know, I kind of try to um, have the mantra of ignore the noise because you just can't control it. And, and look, here's the reality. Regardless of the coronavirus, regardless of the stock market, of tariff, uh, trade war with China or our election, there's always going to be noise. Um, when you look at the core economic fundamentals, though, we have a phenomenal economy with low unemployment, with very low interest rates. And... Um, to me, the only thing that really could get in the way of all of that is affordability. Um, we live in a market where the cost of living is outrageous. It continues to rise. Um, you know, basic housing, uh, healthcare, those are, those are, that's what keeps me up at night is that everyday families 
um, can continue to um, to live in the markets that Gantry has offices in. That's my biggest concern. It's not the the macroeconomic factors. That makes sense. That makes sense. So then looking, I mean, when you talk about, you know, the price of, uh, of housing, I mean, one of the things that the legislature in California uh, passed last year, and it's going to be, you know, certainly on the uh, on the minds of folks this year and, and uh, going forward, and not even just in California. Now it seems to be uh, an issue that's, you know, I think it was even mentioned in one of the debates recently is a rent control. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think that the new rent control law in California, how will that impact or how is it already impacting uh, the state? Uh, I, I personally think it has a very negative impact uh, for multiple factors within the state. Um, you know, uh, the goal of rent control, I think, is admirable. I mean, it's it's to keep housing costs as low as possible for working class families. The net effect, I'm not convinced that it works. Um, what what we need is we need more development. Um, and I'm disappointed that the, the state legislature wasn't able to approve uh, State Senator Weiner's bill on, on, on development. That got rejected three times. And to me, I, I don't know if that's the, that's the solution, but I think anything that you can do to build more housing, not less, um, is something you want to work towards. Uh, rent control doesn't do that. Rent control doesn't help you build more housing. Um, in terms of cap rates and investment sales in apartment buildings, what rent control will do is have cap rates increase, um, which is not necessarily a good thing because you don't necessarily see buildings transact. So you see more um, owners of those uh, properties decide to hold them, not invest in the properties because they're not able to see the benefit uh, with the uh, charging market-based rent. So I'm not a fan of rent control. I don't think it has the effect of what um, most people would like it to do. What I would prefer that the state government focus on and the local municip- municipalities uh, and also all of the members of CMBA is advocate for uh, more development bills. And whether it's in you know, major metros as San Francisco or secondary and tertiary markets throughout um, Central and Northern California, I think that's what we need more important than rent control. It's more of a supply issue than... We have a major supply issue. And we, I mean, just in downtown San Francisco, um, we have a plethora of um, job openings, but a lack of housing for people to fill those jobs. And I'm not talking about, you know, the white collar dot com jobs, we need more blue collar labor. And the only way that labor can afford to live here is if there is more housing built specifically for them. And we need to make it more um, we need to make it easier for more uh, development for, again, not just blue collar, but um, um, everyday traditional jobs that you think of that you know, aren't necessarily able to pay the high market rate uh, costs, whether it's teachers, whether it's paramedics, EMTs, uh, police officers, um, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, I know that, uh, you know, just building entry level homes has become a challenge in California just to make that a profitable enterprise. Um, so what, what were your thoughts on, uh, are there any, you know, maybe um, 
sort of hidden opportunities that uh, maybe lenders aren't uh, taking advantage of, or maybe something you see out there that's uh, maybe a silver lining in the in the clouds? No, I, I mean, you know, I think my fear with lenders right now is, you know, rates. We we need treasury yields to rise. Um, at some point, you know, in our business is making an interest rate with a two in front of it or a three in front of it. I mean, it, it's not sustainable in, in my opinion. Um, there's just not enough risk based uh, priced into some of these loans to warrant making a long-term fixed interest rate at those levels. So I think for the health of our industry, we need treasury yields to rise um, just to have a, 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 successful uh, lending market long-term, not just short-term. Um, I think the, the, the real call, call it wild card here for short-term money is the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. Um, you know, that's going to come into effect uh, over the next, you know, um, 12 months. Uh, still, you know, TBD to see how that plays out um, with all of these large short-term loans or construction loans that were done over LIBOR. Mm. Wow, that's a good point. I hadn't even considered that, but you're right. I just got my thinking back too. Um, what were your thoughts on uh, uh, the important role? I know this is something that you've spoken about at uh, some of our events before, the importance of the role of the small balance lender in uh, today's market. Uh, I mean, I think any capital source that plays a role in uh, the liquidity market is important, whether you focus on small, small balance loans um, or you're doing large institutional um, um, loans. Um, having a, a um, credit market that is readily available um, throughout the country, not just the West Coast, is important just to the viability of our industry. And, um, you know, you never want to limit uh, a capital source. Makes sense, yeah. Uh, so sort of maybe changing, uh, switching gears here, as, uh, you know, someone who came into the industry at a young age, I'm, I'm curious what, uh, you know, maybe thoughts or suggestions you would have to someone else who is maybe young in the industry and looking for a way to get involved, maybe not just at their own company, but in the larger industry. Sure. And I know one of the challenges that uh, they often have is, well, I can't, you know, my company is not going to sponsor me to go to a conference. And so how can I get involved? Well, the great thing about our industry, which I don't think most people know about, is if you're an entrepreneur, um, this industry is perfect for you. Um, if you're a sociable person, this industry is perfect for you. I mean... If you, if you kind of think about what we do on a daily basis, we're, we're communicating with our friends. We're, we're sharing information. And our clients are our friends. Our lenders are our friends. Um, and the only way to, to, to get involved is to kind of just jump into the fray. And what CMBA does um, is, is a great entree way to... Uh, anybody in the industry, whether they're on the brokerage, mortgage banking side, the lending side, the vendor side, it gives them through the events that CMBA puts on, whether it's Future Leaders Program, whether it's Ledge Day, whether it's Western States CREF, um, these are nominal cost events 
that um, anybody can can join. And uh, you know, I think look, you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. So I'm a I'm a past board member of the CMBA. Um, I donated my time, but you know the windfall that I have received from it with the relationships that I've created over the time that I've been in the industry is is invaluable. You can't put a cost on that. So I encourage anybody that uh, whether you're young, old, whatever, um, if you're passionate about commercial real estate and finance, um, CMBA is a great entreeway just to, to meeting uh, people throughout the industry. Well, that's a perfect segue to my next question. So, I mean, we're so saturated with social media and uh, I know I'm, uh, I staff our mortgage technology marketing committee and I'm sort of, you know, in the, in the weeds on that at times. And uh, it seems like, you know, the future of, of real estate finance is going to be all digital and all digital communications and connections. Um, but I know that there's still sort of in the back of my mind, it sits back there that there still is a future for face-to-face communications and relationships and connections. Right. So, I mean, I know it's an important part on the commercial side. Is there a sense that there's more of a rebalancing happening or is there still, you know, the true value in that, you know, face-to-face uh, relationship? So I just missed the millennial um, age group, which I'm, I'm actually happy about. Um, and in certain respects, I'm, I'm probably more of a dinosaur when it comes to social media. I don't have a Facebook account. Um, I do have a LinkedIn account. I don't manage it. Um, I'm a big believer that technology is great for this industry and that it makes us all more efficient. But there's something to be said about the face-to-face interaction, which garners trust that I'm just not a believer that technology will change. Um, with every transaction that I'm able to uh, accomplish, the reason I'm able to get that done is because the client has confidence in me and my firm because they know me, they've met me, they know that I have credibility and that I have honesty. Um, and the lender knows that I stand by what is in the information that I send. And there's just no amount of technology, I think, that can um, derail that. Um, on top of, you know, look, their information is at our fingertips. But I've always been a big believer of commercial real estate that this is more of an art than a science. Numbers tell you one thing, but they don't tell you everything they can't tell you why a certain property owner is leasing space five bucks below market or 10 bucks above market. That's the job of the intermediary to really dive into the numbers and, and tell the story on why the numbers look the way they do. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think that the value, you just can't, especially when you're talking on the commercial side, transactions and the millions of dollars. I mean, that's something that, you know, you can't build, like you said, you can't build the trust over, you know, a social media network. You've got to have, you know, handshake, face-to-face, you know, really meet people in the eye and and get to know them and their company. Yep. Uh All right. Well, then, uh, so last question here. What would your message be? This is something that uh, I run into when talking to folks about getting involved in the, in the industry and in with the California MBA, and particularly on the advocacy portion. 
you do run into it every once in a while. I'm sure you did too when you were on the board. You run into people who just don't see the value in it. You know, they say, well, you know, I don't necessarily need to get involved, but other people are doing it, you know, and uh, you know, maybe I'll get involved later. They just don't see the, you know, immediate value in getting involved. What's your, what would be your message to them? Well, I think it's short-sighted. Um, I mean, look, there's always going to be people in our industry that measure success and failure based on the amount of transactions they close and the amount of revenue they bring in. And that's great. We, you know, that's how companies grow and so on and so forth. Um, but there's a much bigger picture here than just growing balance sheets and growing revenue. Um, I take great pride in the relationships that I've been able to develop for my own personal benefit that have nothing to do with the bottom line. It just helps me grow as a person. And, you know, maybe that's just too idealistic, but I, I look at it that the interactions that you meet on a daily basis, you never know where those are going to take you or who those relationships are, are going to introduce you to. Um, and they may have nothing to do with business whatsoever, but it just makes you more of a well-rounded, better person. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. Um, it's kind of like the six degrees of separation. The more people you meet, the more um, connections you, you, you're able to meet from there. So uh, I encourage anyone, you know, who's interested in, in getting involved, don't do it because of you think it's going to help your revenue. Do it for the other reasons that, you know, it may at the end of the day help your bottom line, but don't go into it thinking that. Just let it organically occur. Awesome. Well, hey, Robert, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. It's great to see you again, and thanks for listening to us today. Um, that's all the time we have for this episode of uh, Connect. Uh, make sure and subscribe to us on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, or our YouTube channel, and we'll see you next time.